Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast for Thursday, June 13th, otherwise known as Sewing Machine Day, which is actually kind of appropriate because I think I may be doing some sewing this week, potentially. Interesting. Do you have a sewing machine? No, but my mom does. Mm. And she's going to be teaching me to sew, too, because I've never sewn anything. Are you kidding me? My mom just taught me how to sew. Oh, man, it should be National Have Your Mom Teach You to Sew Day. Yeah, okay, so I'm curious what you're doing. So the reason I learned to sew a little bit was to make these giant floor pillows, basically. They're like three and a half by five and a half feet floor pillows filled with foam pieces. And I'm putting them in the movie theater room so people can just kind of like lounge out and sprawl out on the floor. So it's like a a lumpy beanbag? It's filled with larger objects? Um, Yeah, it's a slightly more plush beanbag. Mine's going to be for the bench project that I was talking about for the LG projector. So I'm going to need to do three more like medium to smaller sized cushions, I guess you'd call them. So was sewing hard or was it fairly easy? Uh, no, not tough at all. And as long as your mom is pretty decent at it, she should be able to guide you along the way. Like totally fine. She knows her way around the sewing machine. And actually I'm not 100% certain that I am sewing in this. I just think I might be. Nice. And I'm not going to say there's not complicated sewing out there, but just running a good, yeah, just, but running a good seam and just making something that's like a pillow or a cover or something. Yeah. It's not crazy as long as you've got someone that knows what they're doing. We're looking for the equivalent of like make a box with four butt joints. Yes. Yeah, exactly. There's there's complicated (laughs) ways you can make a box, but here's an easy one. So what's the pocket hole equivalent for sewing? Pocket hole equivalent? Yeah. What's the hack? Is there a hack? Uh, the, ha- the hack would be what I just did for the outdoor lounge video that I just published, which is true. not sewing, just using Tape. a piece of plywood and folding the f- outdoor fabric over and then stapling it to that plywood. The very basic upholstering method. Maybe I'll do that. That is very true. Yeah. I don't know if it has a name, but that should be National Day. <laughs> <laughs> National Speaking of, I really... I really liked that outdoor lounge chair video. You talked about it last week, but I hadn't seen the video yet. I think you put it out after we had already recorded the podcast. It was a good video. I remember watching it and thinking, Ben is the only person that would use a bag of rocks to hold boards down while he's screwing things from the underside. <laughs> it's a minimal <laughs> like nature's tools. clamp. It's a minimal tools project. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it was. Uh, I guess we'll just go right into what we're doing. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, go man? For it. It's working. So yeah, it it was. F- it was a fun project because I don't – I was thinking about outdoor sofas and if I'm lounging around outside, it's normally not sitting in like very upright posture. <laughs> yeah. It came it's outside to like, be real proper. It, right. It's very like leisure time. It's either hanging out with friends, having drinks or you know, sitting outside reading or probably like checking Instagram and pinning stuff or something kind of <laughs> semi-leisurely. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a little recline going on. And so every time I sit on a sofa, I'm never sitting on it the correct way anyways. Like I'm kind of like slouched or lounging or lying down on it. So I thought, well, let's just build a chair that's like more reflective of that and more like kind of a the type of lounge you'd see at a pool cabana or something. And then from there it was, all right, got to get this one done because it's for Amazon. I'm doing three three projects for them. So... Knocked it out, just a, a three-tool project, drill, sander, and circular saw. And, and bag of rocks. Yeah, and, and there's like a couple <laughs> little tricks. I've been getting better at sort of ripping two-by-sixes at an angle with that angled cut to, oh, to yeah. give it a little flare. And I think, yeah, and then the old bag of rocks. So yeah. <laughs> the, the cushions I made without sewing, I got a really nice-looking outdoor canvas from Amazon, which was actually pretty cheap. It was probably only about like... 30 bucks worth of canvas and $40 worth of foam for, for quite a bit of cushion. And then I used plywood on the backing of the foam so I could just wrap the canvas around and staple it. So no sewing. I kept it on the thin side so the, the folds wouldn't be too bunchy. And it was also nice for an outdoor cushion because it made the cushions heavy so they won't blow away. We should do a whole maker brand line of Benueta specific tools. So we can have bag of rocks. <laughs> We've got like the workbench and it's just floor. Floor. Yeah. What else can we do? A four foot by four foot speed square. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. This thing's got some legs. It's like a speed square, yeah, the size of a drywall square. Just a giant, heavy aluminum triangle. This is perfect, man. Get our own speed. That's awesome. 
So you're doing some traveling though this week, Ben? I am in New York right now. So we're in the middle of finishing up that sizzle reel with First Avenue Machine, which is a production company that I started working with. And it's going good. We're, we're doing a organizational show that also involves building. So, I mean, it's very like formulaic in the sort of typical kind of show way where they had me partner with a professional organizer. So we went to these people's house on the Upper East Side. Mm-hmm. They have a four-year-old daughter whose bedroom is just about like eight feet by 10 feet, which is a very small bedroom, but yeah. kind of typical to New York. And she has a lot of stuffed animals, a lot of art supplies, and way too many toys in general. So <laughs> the professional organizer's job is to try to get them to purge and go through and categorize everything. And I am building out a almost like a canopy bed with storage above and below it. Oh, cool. And then a bunch of shelving and a little desk for all her art supplies. So we're basically using Baltic birch plywood to build just very boxy, simple stuff, that, mm-hmm. but stuff that fits the room. So there's nothing innovative about the design. It's all right angle connections screwed together. You know, a little occasional sort of a painted two by four to support the, the plywood. Mm-hmm. So the build itself is very basic. I think the part that's interesting is sort of breaking down the mess and really building something. And they're also renters. They don't own the apartment. So one of the concerns was they wanted something that was really maximizes the efficiency of the space, but that would be useful in a different room when they move. So there's that kind of first tendency to build everything really tight, fill up one whole wall with sort of cabinets and cubbies and the bed and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I had to figure out a modular way to make sure that the pieces would still be useful in a room that's configured differently. So that was kind of the fun trade-off. So it'll be much more of a a project where it's about the before and after of the room with very basic making techniques sort of stacked on top of each other. That's cool. How does the the sort of timeline and the workflow on a TV show kind of find itself being is it something where projects are rushed or you kind of you have a a little bit of time to plan enough time to build where's where's the rush and where do you have time well this is this is sizzle so this is pre-pilot so it's sort of like the pilot to the pilot and what i told them they wanted me to do something a little bit faster and i said well if i'm gonna i'd rather not do it at all because i've done a couple sizzle reels before that didn't go anywhere and to me is i'd rather spend a week doing something that one will be useful because I'm going to put this project on YouTube. So that was one of the things that I insisted. So that way I have a little more incentive to actually make a real project out of it. And it's not just like wasted video proposal. Yeah. So I think in general, the, I told them they don't, they don't actually need to shoot that much because they're, they hire a camera, a camera crew for the days that they do shoot. So I've been building for about four days and I've been using the AO5 studio guys shop. Uh, so shout out to them. And what I did was is they said, okay, we, we only, you know, we'd be great if we could shoot all the building stuff in one day. So what I did was is I kind of like before that day, I laid out every single type of thing, cutting, okay. sanding, painting, clear coating, and light assembling. So within two hours, they're able to get enough footage to make an entire montage that'll kind of represent the building process. So yeah. You- that's smart, you need yeah. to do like the the uh, five minute cooking segment trick, right? Basically, so that that part was like really helpful for them, and that's sort of the type of collaboration we've been good at so far, and hopefully will continue. Is that you know it, it kind of goes both ways. You'll hear people that are on more of the talent side complain about the production side, and vice versa a lot. But if you understand what's important for each side, for me, it's having a really good before and after because I want this to yeah. be valuable YouTube content, not just look like you know be all about introducing the clients and hearing their issues and then like a very minimal before and after to me that's like kind of anticlimactic and then for them it's about sort of hey we don't have you know it's expensive for camera crews let's not spend four days hanging out just to capture you know each individual step because each one of those steps happens on a different day so we're able to get it done pretty pretty tightly it's I think the before and afters are gonna be pretty dramatic because the room was pretty messy and we found out a really cl- we came up with a really clever way to store a lot of the stuffed animals. Very nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. That sounds really cool. Mike, before you get into what you're working on, I checked out your video. Finally came out the the theater renovation. Woo! Yeah. Banger. You really think so? Oh man? yeah, I mean that was a good video. 
Dude, I appreciate like it. A, it was a full on episode. Like I, I liked at the beginning when you did like the transition from turn this room into this. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. did you like put tape on the ground so you could like keep the shot the same and everything? No, but there was a couple kind of reference points okay. in the room I was able to use. But I've kind of got to shout out Bob from I Like to Make Stuff. He doesn't do that, but that's sort of very I Like to Make Stuff style as, intro. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh man, whenever I do a room renovation, I'm so doing that. But I'm going to do it in yeah. a way where like from this to this and do a cut, but then like still be in the same place and be like, oh shit, it didn't work. <laughs> like to this. And then like snap and then, and then, or yeah, something. Then snap and then your fingers. Yeah. yeah, like have it like keep messing up and then like finally it works. Yeah, that's awesome. But you're right, man. It was it was totally the same length of a TV show. It ended up being, I think, tw- a tiny bit over 22 minutes yeah. or a tw- tiny bit over 21 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a challenge editing for sure because you've said it before, Ben, and even you've said it, Chris. Like w- as, Once you get past a certain point of not being able to rely on step one, step two, step three, yeah. you have to introduce a little bit of story arc or you have to introduce something to keep people interested. It definitely makes it a little more challenging. It's that 12 to 15 minute mark. Yeah. Where if like, Big if it's time. just like step after step after step right around like 12 to 15 minutes, it just starts to feel exhausting. Yeah. You get, you get fatigued. Yeah. You know how I could tell it was good was, um, so I was watching it like kind of late at night. It was probably like 11 or so. And Dolores was doing some stuff and then she came in the room and she kind of stopped to watch it. And I was like, do you want me to just like stop it and we can watch it later? And she's like, I'm invested. Let's just finish it. Wow. And I'm like, oh, shout out. It's, it's got the hooks <laughs> in people. That's pretty awesome. So I, I appreciate you guys saying that, but yeah, it was, it was fun and it's doing really well. So that's encouraging. Yeah, that's awesome. And man, I complained maybe a month ago about people, about a trend I've seen in the making community where like videos are just getting longer, whether that's the making community or YouTube at large. Mm -hmm. And this 22 minute video is doing really, really well. And whenever I go into the analytics side of YouTube, it just keeps telling me the video is doing really well because it's so long, basically. Like everything it's telling me is watch time is a lot higher than average. So keep doing what you're doing. But I'm like, well, the yeah. watch time is higher because every view is however much longer right. and, of a video. But And this is obviously a project that warranted that. It wasn't like, I'm just right. going to stretch it out. Like, it would be yeah, pretty I, dang impossible to do that in really less, much less, at least. Yeah, I had to split, like, the doors and the floors. I was just like, yeah, those can't even go in after I got a certain part of the way through the, uh, through the process. But either way, that's not going to affect the length of my videos overall. It's still going to be same old modern builds here, but I'm glad it went well and I'm glad uh, you guys enjoyed it. That's awesome. And this week before the podcast goes live, I'm going to have the DIY swing open movie poster frame coming out. And it's not a crazy video. It's going to be, you know, a 10 minute one, but it's fun. There was a little bit of problem solving involved and it was just a good simple project. I think I mentioned that earlier. It's good balancing out projects, whether you're making videos or not. And uh, yeah, it was fun. It was cool going to the print shop and seeing all the different stock that they had, all the different pricing options between the different size posters and stuff that they do. Mm -hmm. I had already built the frame and I built it for a two foot by three foot poster. That's kind of standard for a lot. And I got my artwork. I took it to the printers and he was like, what size you want? And I was, you know, and I told him that he's like, great. Well, we've got these 13 by 19 posters that are a buck a piece because mm. apparently a 13 by 19 is the same poster everybody used, uses to promote everything, whether it's, you know, like a local music show or a comedy thing. Yeah. Like everybody just uses those for promo flyers and they're super cheap, but they're still printed on a relatively thick stock with a semi gloss sheen to it. So they're like not super shiny. They able they're able to photograph well, and so I don't really have anything in mind with it. But I thought it was a fun fact that I wanted to share because that's pretty neat, you know. Because you can take in pretty much any file in the world that you make or that you have the rights to, and and get it made for a buck. That's awesome. Get that opens up a lot of doors going. to some stuff. Yeah, maybe maybe some kind of gallery wall or some kind of. You know those things where they get, you know, 20 frames, but they're all different sizes, but you get them all gridded out yeah, to where yeah, they yeah. look so you're nice. Saying that, Something like that. So you're saying that 13 by 9 is the sweet spot for printing posters. It's kind of the... Yeah, it's 13 it's, by 19. Right. It's really... It's on the large side, but it's not like large format printing where it's coming off of yep. a roll. Exactly. And yeah. that's Once basically you get what he that, said You as start well. paying for it by like square foot. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That was what he said. He's like, this is the biggest our small machine can print. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Very nice. But that's, yeah. So what do you got going on though, Chris? Man. Okay. So 
It's funny. I've actually gotten a few comments from people's like from people. Hey, are you still alive? Essentially, because <laughs> I haven't put out a video in like I don't know three weeks or so. Yeah, but I have four videos that I'm finishing, or I just started yesterday. But I'm partway into the fourth build, so I'll have like I already have two of the videos edited. They just have not gone live yet. One's gonna be live yesterday at the time people are listening to this. But I was doing the math, so we're already you know coming up on mid June here. I have four videos that have to come out this month. It means hmm. a deuce is inevitable at this point, I believe. Statistically, it has to a, happen. Is there potential for a double deuce? <laughs> There's potential for a double deuce. Wow. A quad. Videos back to back to back to back. Back That's to back awesome. weeks of back to back videos. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know exactly what the, the release schedule will be, but right. I don't think I can avoid a deuce at this point. Right. <laughs> I've already hit so, that launch so, button. So what are you building now? Are you still working on the the outdoor kind of movie That's, theater yeah. Ottoman thing? That's what I'm okay. on now. So last week was when Sean was here and we did yeah. the the Bad Larry, updated Bad Larry, I suppose I'll call it, that um, I talked about then. He got here Monday. We got like, I mean, we worked some long hours. Like I'd say he got here at <laughs> three o'clock on Monday and like we were at it pretty much every night till average probably two in the morning. Dang. You know, obviously taking breaks and stuff, but, um, you know, longer than what I would typically do as a full build day if I was working by myself. And I pretty much wrapped it up. I just had to do like one little last finishing thing to it yesterday. So it was essentially a full week, like, you know, seven consecutive days to get that build done. So it was on the bigger side. I'm hoping this one's going to go a little bit faster. Like it's a fairly simple build. So I got a lot of it knocked out yesterday and I'm hoping like by tomorrow I can kind of have it finished. And then move on to just like doing the sewing stuff or whatever. But then there's, yeah. because it's for the projector, there's, I'm sure you can attest to this, Mike, there's going to be a lot of extra production that has to go into place for like, you know, I'm going to have to put together like a movie night kind of thing and get everybody over, film some stuff while they're here and, you know, try to like do it fast. So I'm not making them feel uncomfortable or whatever. Right. <laughs> so yeah, there'll be, there'll be all that stuff to do. So there's still a lot of work ahead, even though the build is a little bit simpler. But I've got some questions. So Shoot. we went through a little bit of a rabbit trail trying to brainstorm for that project. Yeah. Because there was storage opportunities. There was also seating opportunities. And we kind of landed on, yeah. it might be cool to do this. It might be cool to do that. But I'm curious what you actually went forward with. So I was messing around with like the looks and doing something that was like a converted seating thing. And everything I was coming up with, like, it might have been more functional, but it didn't look good. So I was like, it has to look good. And I was kind of at the point where I couldn't change things too much just because I didn't want to have to go to the brand and be like, Hey, I'm changing it to this idea. And then it's going to be like a whole thing of having to explain it and waiting for them to come back. I was like, okay, so I need to keep it within the set, the sort of constraints of what I've pitched to them already. So what I ended up doing was with the design, I wanted to focus on making it where whether it's the three boxes together or the three boxes separate, they can kind of look cohesive. So they'll look good on their own, but then they'll look like one big thing together, Voltron-esque, cool. if you will. <laughs> um, but for like the functionality point of it, they'll all have storage. And I made it where the one that holds the projector is gonna be, it'll turn into an ottoman and you'll be able to project from within the ottoman. So you don't even have to take it out of it if you don't want to, or you can put it on top basically. And I, I know the actual projector itself is very functional in that way. I forget, they call it like auto keying or whatever, where it'll like, adjust the tilt of the screen so it looks like it's nice and straight no matter what angle you have it on. Yep, keystoning. So, keystoning, there you go. So hoping, hoping that that will allow me to do it from like a low angle where it's actually sitting in the ottoman and projecting. But in either case, the other two, they're all gonna have magnetic backs on them so you can just pull them off to store stuff in them. But the other two will go to, if you guys can remember like the setup of my backyard, It'll basically turn it into a chaise. So they'll those two will go together. And now like my whole area right there will form like a big U where there'll be like a bench part. And then like you could lay on the chaise part. And then there's the other big box that I built that two people could lay on. So it should be That's like awesome. there. The bench is a little more to, to kind of go back to what Ben was saying. It's a little bit more of a formal seating position because there's a back on it. So you can't really like slouch too hard in that part. But the other, there's like room for at least three people to be able to actually like fully lay down. So that should be some good, yeah. more loungy areas. So I'm trying to picture it. Is it almost like a sectional, yeah. but just built out of a bunch of sort of like yeah, so mismatched the, shapes? What I already have there is essentially an L sectional. 
and where like exactly. the chase part is double wide so two people could lay on it. And then this one will connect to the bench to essentially elongate the bench on one side. So now it's like a big U. That's awesome. Yeah, that sounds really fun. Yeah, so at least it'll be functional and it'll be like a, a nice relaxing place to watch a movie outside. So yeah. if it's not the most compelling visually, I'll get that from it. Yeah, and I think it's kind of cool. It's like you're making you're making a new project that is its own thing. And it's like what you said, it's like a Transformer or some kind of Voltron thing, but it interacts with an old project. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like a throwback in a way. It's kind of cool that it's modular with a previous project. Yeah, for sure. From a long time ago, too. Yeah. Oh, shoot. You just made me think of something, too, because I've got to make sure that I match the heights, which I've done yeah. like in all of my planning, but I forgot to bring my casters with me today. To make sure, because, you know, I I looked them up and like, you know, you can see the height of the casters that you're going to use and, but I don't want to fully trust what it says in the item description. I should actually pull them out and and put them on there. But, you know, I guess there'd be a little bit of wiggle room because if anything, I could just put like a little spacer block under them to lift them up a quarter of an inch or whatever if needed. I'll be good. I'll be good. I freaked myself out for a second. I was about to say, I don't know how much risk you want to, you know, how much risk you want to assume. Yeah. (laughs) Abort. Abort this project. It's all that's cool. Yeah. So anyhow, topic for today. Chris, you had an idea, right? Yeah, I was thinking we could talk about, because I'm sure it's something we all get and it should be easy to think of, just like kind of the most common questions that you individually get. So whether that's through emails, DM, that sort of thing. So the one that I'll start off, and then I figured we could each riff on it since it's probably something that we all get. But the one that popped into my head is, I'm sure you guys get a lot of recommendations, either there's the more vague ones like, hey, I'm thinking about setting up a shop, what should I get? Or sometimes there's tool specific ones. And so something that I've always thought with the tool specific ones is it seems more like they're almost like they've made up their mind, but they almost just want confirmation that something is a good idea. And then the other thing, this will be just a general tip for people when reaching out is like, be concise for sure. Like, you know, whenever I open up a long email, Like, I'm like, I want to respond to this, but like, I don't have time to read it right now. So I'll just mark it as unread and then like forget to come back to it for several weeks. But if it's short, (laughs) I'll usually respond almost like right then. It's just like a lot quicker. So definitely be concise. But the other thing is it's hard when somebody says like, hey, I saw you using the the SawStop job site saw. What's your opinion of it? Like, that's so open-ended. Like, I need to know, well, what do you like to do? What's your budget? what other things mm. it's it's hard to just like without knowing anything about the person it makes it kind of difficult to give a quick answer well i've got your answer chris don't buy no just what? match vagueness with more vagueness it's good be like yeah i think it's great it's an awesome job site saw and it doesn't cut my finger off <laughs> <laughs> done and done. there you go a little tit for tat yeah uh i think tool recommendations are probably one of the most common questions that the three of us are going to get combined whether it's hey i'm just starting out and i'm curious what tools i need to get first which is sort of my version of that question chris Mm -hmm. or what you're saying is hey what's your opinion on this tool that you've used or that tool that you've used yeah and i'm totally answering i'm totally happy answering any of the questions people send me i do my best i probably answer 90 percent of them yeah but yeah, I mean, I guess they're asking for your personal opinion on the tool or the product, right? So right. you just say like, well, this is how it works into my workflow and I like it for that or I don't like it for that. I don't know though. Yeah. Uh, so how do you usually respond then? If they're specific, I'll usually respond right away and just like try to answer their questions that they asked. If they're vague, like I was saying, like I actually got that specific question. That's why it popped into my head probably two days ago and I just marked it as unread and like I keep seeing it every time. I open my email and I'll open it again, forgetting what it is and be like, ah, I'll respond to that later. And I just keep it like, I just keep putting it off. Cause I'm like, I have this want to give people a substantial answer to something, especially if they've written something longer and maybe that's something I need to avoid. Like, you know, you just can't, at some point you can't do that to everybody. Like, you know, I would have to become just a professional email responder if I wanted to do that to everybody. Here's but, my checklist. Yeah. Before I ask somebody a question that I don't know online. Number one, I check to make sure they haven't already answered it. Mm -hmm. If I'm DMing them on Instagram, I make sure they didn't. The answer isn't in a website post or a YouTube video description, which it often is for the questions that people ask me. 
Yeah. So first, it's taking the responsibility to do a little bit of research and make sure they haven't already published this. Because if there's someone with an audience, they've probably anticipated some of this stuff and it's probably already out there. If it's a kind of an obvious question, like what kind of glue did you use or. Right. The other thing is uh, specificity would be the next thing. And then the third thing would be always leading with sort of a compliment to sort of set context that they're like, this isn't an impertinent person. This isn't someone trolling them. This is a friendly person that has a specific question that if they have the time would be great if they could answer. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the last thing would just be not feeling like they owe me an answer because they probably did a lot of work to research it and I can always do that work too. But I'm just hoping that they give me sort of a shortcut, which would be nice, but they don't have to. And let me yeah. tell you how not to ask a question because I just got, I mean, I, well, I get a lot of these. But here, here's like a the typical example of like a question that's like, I just don't know what to do with. Yeah. <laughs> so this guy DMs me and goes, could you clarify some of my doubts regarding the container house? That was the whole <laughs> thing? It? Yeah. What are your doubts? And it's like, one, I don't know what his doubts are. Two, he yeah. acts as if his doubts are these like valid things. They might be totally irrational as far as I'm concerned. I've never met him. And yeah. could I? I don't know. It depends. It's yeah. like if, if I was an actor, I'd be like, what's my motivation? Like, <laughs> That's so weird to me. That's like what's um, my motivation. You know that like. That kind of fear that people have where like if you're walking around and like, oh, people are looking at people are staring at me right now. Where like in reality, people are oblivious to you and they're not paying attention to you. That's almost like the extreme of that of like everybody knows all of the thoughts in my head. Wow. Yeah. Please clarify. <laughs> right. So it's like it's funny, too. It's like and he asked me that question on YouTube and I'm I mean, on Instagram and I'm betting he didn't watch all the YouTube videos. <laughs> And so, but in terms of like the questions I get asked the most common or the most sort of common questions I get are, why don't you use a workbench? Why do you work on the floor? Why do you use Ryobi tools? What do you think about them? <laughs> and yeah, th those are pretty much by far and away, those two questions I get asked more than everything else. Why the do short you answers use, are? Sounds accusatory. <laughs> That's like a loaded question. Why do you use that? Yeah. So I've talked a lot about why I work on the floor before, but I think mm -hmm. lately the, the amendment I would add that I sort of see is that I think when I was cutting the circles with the jigsaw, people were sort of saying, oh, you're, you're really good at following the line. And I think a little bit is positioning. I think for when you're oh, cutting yeah. freehand, if you're directly over the tool and you can see down to where the blade is hitting that pencil mark or going right to the side of it. For me, and this is probably different for everyone, there, there's a little bit easier control versus visual reference blade to line than when you're at an angle. Mm -hmm. So for one, for from an accuracy standpoint, for, for doing a lot of freehand cutting with a circular saw or jigsaw, it's hard to tell alignment at a, at a angle where it's much easier when you're looking straight down over something or straight mm -hmm. in front of it, or straight behind it. I got the solution. We get Ben a workbench, but we also get him one of those Mission Impossible descent. <laughs> the Tom Cruise hovers over it. Yeah, just as I was cutting that way. And then also, it's it's more versatile. You can, you know, especially because I'll, I'll build a lot of bigger pieces. Workbenches yeah. seems great, but the workbench tends to need to be bigger than the piece itself, especially when you're assembling. Mm-hmm. And if you're building a lot of beds. Right. Or if you, or outdoor lounge chairs. Outdoor lounge chairs, right? So if you have a workbench that's pretty big, but you still need a floor assembly space to assemble it, then you yeah. almost need two different kind of things. And you're using the workbench for an individual piece, and then you're assembling all the pieces on the floor. For, so your shop space requirements are way bigger than if you're just using the floor from the beginning. So yeah. I think, though, what I need to come up with is... What's that workbench style? It's like the plywood one with the oval cuts in the sides. I call the polk or polk oh, or yeah, something. Polk. Yeah, Ron Polk, I think. Yeah, I'm intrigued by that and the sawhorse combination. So I think I might come up with my sort of light workbench idea for that. Yeah, yeah it's basically like a substrate that you can just like set on legs when needed and then move out of the way and lean up against the wall when you don't. Would right. be something for you. Right, and also the, totally. that ability to clamp down to the surface is really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been uh, on the on the idea of like a sawhorse bench since I've been back in Oklahoma working on the attic and all the other projects I'm doing. I've been using 
saw horses and plywood just as the workbench, just because it's easy. And I, what you were just saying, Chris, it goes against the wall so my parents can still park in the garage. Yeah. And it's been great. Like it totally sold me on the idea of a Polk style bench as well. Something that can knock down. Mm. Not to be a commercial, but I don't remember the exact name of them, but they're essentially sawhorses that are adjustable height that Craig makes. And they have little like U-shaped attachments that go on the side where you can put a two by four on side that's flush with the top of it. And so you just connect to that way and then throw a piece of plywood on top of it. And that'd be like, especially once you, you know, if you have everything cut to size, you can set it up in the matter of like, you know, two minutes to get, and you can make a big. That's really cool. And that's sort of assembly table. So I just bought four saw horses that are all the same size. So Mm -hmm. I've got a four by four sheet of plywood. I've got a two, like two and a half foot by eight foot piece of plywood. And then I've got kind of a small kind of two by four piece of plywood. And I've basically got three workbench tops, depending on what my, what the operation is that I'm doing or what I'm kind of assembling. So yesterday I was working on, man, what in the world was I working on? The oh, I've been working on poster. my no, I've been working on my concrete experiments that I'll oh, be yeah. talking about next week because I want to make sure and finish them before I say anything. I don't want to, I don't want to like say any 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 of my hunches. I don't want to reveal anything. Okay, but I've got a bunch of different concrete forms that I'm building and pouring stuff into. And I've got my table saw set up because I'm also making adjustments to all of my pieces of melamine so I get decent si- get decent fitting forms and everything. And so I don't need a deep workbench at all. You know, the the biggest thing that I have is a small job site table saw on top of these saw horses. Mm-hmm. But I want it to be eight feet long so that I just have this long kind of assembly line where I've got the table saw and assembly here. Then I've got over here where it goes to paste waxing and then over here to where I can caulk all the seams. Mm-hmm. I basically got in every individual step because everything sort of has to dry, right? Like the paste wax has to dry before I buff it. The silicone has to dry before I do, before I move to the next one. And so having this whole sawhorse workbench situation lets me just like spread out as big as I need to be. Because right. if I wasn't doing all that, then I would just put my smallest, like smallest setup in there and I've got all the floor space I need for the track saw or something like that. It's awesome. Yeah. To go back to Ben's point, I can personally, I guess, attest for that. Like, you know, having a lot more space now and having a pretty big workbench outfeed table slash assembly table that I can use. I still do assemble things on the ground quite a bit. And usually one one of the main things that gets me to do it even more so than just size is the fact that if I, even if it's big, but I can assemble it on the workbench, I know I have to get it down then after by myself. And I'm right. saying like, I'll just assemble it on the ground and then I can just kind of like slide it around and move it out of the way rather than trying to have to lift this thing off. Seems legit to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I assemble on the ground all the time still. Yeah. I was kind of thinking of doing two, maybe like 30 inch wide palks. So palks or palks? It's A-U-L-K, right? Yeah, that's P-A-U-L-K. how you spell it. Yeah. So two of those, Hulk. about thirty inches wide, eight feet long, maybe a little bit shorter to, to keep the weight down, but to make two yeah. of them that are a little bit taller, so more like eighteen inches high. So I would wouldn't put them on sawhorses. I would use them flat on the ground. So okay. that way I can use them as like if I want to rip a sheet of plywood, I can throw the plywood on them with a space in between for the for the blade to run through. If I want to, uh, you know, cut off a two by lumber. I can place them and use them directly as the saw horses. And then if I want to clamp them both together, then I have a big flat assembly surface that's only 18 inches off the ground. It's going to be like how in like a Japanese dining table like right. where they kneel in front of it. It's going to be the work the workshop version of that. Right. So it's sort of lower. It's sort of in between. It's more like knee height kind of a thing. Yeah. But it gives you something to clamp to because that's the big problem of working on the floors. You just don't have that something to clamp to. Right. You know, I feel like Johnny Brook used to have one of those, the the Polk tables. You should talk to him about it. He definitely didn't have it on the floor. No, he did have a normal. (laughs) Yeah. His was actually on the ceiling. He was working upside down. He's he's nuts. (laughs) Sorry. That's cool. All right. So what are some other common questions? One that I get really often is where do you get your hair product? Hey, yeah. that one he's covered several times. You can get that at modernbills.com forward slash hair. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> forward slash you, hair. I don't know where I don't know exactly what the landing page is, but if you Google Modern Builds Pomade, you can get it. It's great and I use it every day. But yeah. that's not what I'm here to promote. Um 
a really common question I get is why am I not using X, Y, or Z tool? So hmm. I have a table saw. I have a track saw. I have circular saws with jigs. I've got, I've got kind of a version of everything, but I only choose what specific tool I want to use based on who I think is going to watch the video. Okay. And so I've, I'll have a video where... So you're talking about like you're doing something with a circular saw and it's why didn't you use a table saw to do that? Yeah, or why didn't I use... Now that I've gotten a track saw, that's a common question that I've been getting on the past couple of projects that I've used where I haven't used it. After I've used it once, is like, why are you using that? You have a track saw. Yeah. And so I try my best to try and put myself into the shoes of whoever's going to watch and build this. Like, am I doing a relatively beginner project or am I doing a more advanced project that the what tools I use really don't matter? It's more about the like the attic. Mm-hmm. Like I could care less about what tools I used on the attic. It was about the transformation. Right. But on the swing open doors, I made sure that since I used the table saw, that was the only saw that I used. Like I didn't use any others. Gotcha. And so that's a pretty common question that I get. Is that something that y'all y'all get? Yeah, I've definitely got. I can imagine getting it a lot in some of the upcoming videos I have because I. I think within one video, there might be one where I use like the circular saw with an edge guide, the Craig track saw and my Festool track saw because I was trying out, <laughs> I got this woodpecker's attachment for the track saw. That's like this. I don't know if I talked about it in here, but it's this, I forget what it's called. Maybe like, I don't know. It, it attaches to it. It makes it like real quick to do perpendicular cuts or to do angled cuts. It's got like a protractor. Cool. So it's kind of like a miter gauge attachment to a track saw. So I was testing that out for the video too. So there was like, it was almost the opposite of what you do where I'm using three tools where I could have easily <laughs> just used one. Right. So I'm sure people are going to be asking questions about that. I bet. And then the other things that are common questions that seem like they don't even really need to be asked is like, why'd you paint it white? Or yeah. why'd you choose that color? Or why didn't you stain it? That's such a common question. Why didn't you stain it? And yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just didn't. I don't like, I don't like staining that Yeah, a lot much. of it's just like things that are preferential yeah because i like yeah things white i don't know but it's all pretty funny because it's like i don't know because i just i don't that's what i like do what you like right (laughs) it's that question that's sort of like it's asked by someone that doesn't seem to be really strong in the sort of i don't know like stylistic taste and judgment and or have like or have sort of strong opinions about aesthetics and then they ask you to sort of like why did you do that i'm like Okay, I'm going to give you an answer that sounds like I'm being a dick, but I'm not. It's because I like the way it looks, yeah. or I thought it looked yeah. cool. Or it would I'd- be like like if you bought a new car and someone was like, why'd you buy green? Right. Like, then it would actually seem insulting if they asked it that way. But for, <laughs> so it's kind of the same, but not really. That being said, like I'm never offended when someone says, oh, that looks great. I would have personally stained it black or I would have gone with left it natural. Like I'm I've right. never offended by someone else sort of saying like, ooh, I, you know, like this is the way I would have sort of done that. Like that's cool. But when they ask you sort of like, why do you it's like it's like asking someone like, why do you like the way that tastes? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, analogy. you can get into it, right? Like you can say, well, I think I found that over the years, my palate likes te- gravitates towards this combination of heat and acid and salt and, you know, all these. You could get really into it, but that's not actually any more useful than just being like, it's what I like. I like the idea that someone asked that and like you give this real sophisticated answer and then it pans out and you're eating like chicken McNuggets or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and But, the, you know, they can always... It's why like talking to a a five year old can be kind of annoying if they just keep saying Tell why. Tell me about it. <laughs> they keep just saying why, right? Like, right. Well, I don't know. Go figure it out. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. funny. What I <laughs> it's found, like, how far are you going to follow that rabbit trail back? Having Say a what, kid, Chris? like, I think that that's a sort of a movie TV trope. In reality, what they're more likely to do is just like make assumptions and come up with like this huge elaborate story of like. Or assumption of why something is that way. Right. Because I feel like kids probably like everybody wants to know, right? Yeah. And so if you're creative enough to come up with something, it's like, all right, I'm going to run with this and see what they say. See or if someone just, calls me out on it. Or there's like this, um, I don't know, maybe there's this human thing that we do to like think that there's an explanation for everything and that we must know it. Or not that like yeah. we must and that we have to, but like obviously we know this. So you just like come up with this story of like that's why this is the way that it is. 
And I think right. adults probably do that. And historically, we've done that through time. But like, you know, yeah. you can see a little kid doing it in real time. Yeah. I wonder if I wonder if these people that ask a lot of these why questions are also people that believe in conspiracy theories. Uh, because they're, conspiracy theorists. they're people that Inside think job, that there man. has to be this like complicated, interconnected, pre-calculated reason for anything happening when really yeah. it's mostly just chaos and making decisions under duress and just grabbing the thing that works the best at the time because you didn't want to do one extra run to the store or because that's what you had or because right. that was what was in this room. And the other thing that might be like 10% better was 50 steps away. <laughs> right. It's much yeah, more chaotic and random, I think, than people think. Yeah, I think that there's a, an idea that kind of going back to our topic that we had a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about teaching, that a lot of times these things just aren't as planned out as you would expect something that's being filmed and put on the Internet to live forever would be like you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, Chris, you're making SketchUp files and stuff a lot of times. Oh, yeah. And I've done that for a total of probably 10 projects and it definitely makes the process so much smoother for sure. But there's a certain level of like spontaneity that I do enjoy when I don't have the SketchUp plans. Mm -hmm. Right. And even but it's then, a double edged like sword, but it's a double edged sword because then for every moment that there's a small problem or a small, like small bit of creativity from a problem you didn't foresee. And it's awesome. There's that time where you just overlook something that was stupid. Right. And then you like kick yourself over right. it. Or yeah. You like, or you so for this, oh, go, go ahead, Ben. Okay, so you okay, might. <laughs> no, 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 you go ahead. Every, here, let's just talk at the same time. Ready? One. I'll go first. No, okay, now you go. So one of the things that always gets into the way of those pre-planned projects is you go, you know what? I'm going to be so precise. I'm going to order just the right amount of material. I'm going to make this out of eight foot long boards. I need exactly four of them. I'm going to plan out the design so it utilizes every single inch of them. You go pick out your four boards. You get them home and you realize Two inches of the one at the end of one of them is split, <laughs> right? Yeah. And oh, so man. that's where your your perfectly laid plans just fall to pieces. Where what I normally do would be like, it's so funny. Like so often I'll start without any sort of set measurements. I'll just pick up a piece of wood. I'll be like, oh, oh that end's kind of frayed. Is. This is sort of that. You know, what? I'm just going to chop off these ends and then cut it in half and then cut a bunch of pieces that are exact same length. So right. often I'm working with relative dimensions of this piece is half the length of this or this piece is – these pieces are all the same length or this piece is the same length of this plus the width of the board itself, right? Right. Right. So – Yeah, and that's that's one reason that I never return things. So if I bought extra or if I bought something and ended up never using it, I never take it back because I might use it later. Right. And – the perfect example was on this picture frame I just finished. I My initial intention was just to use normal hinges, like utility hinges, what you would think of. Mm -hmm. But the frame was heavy enough that it sort of drooped whenever it was hanging on the wall. And at first, like it didn't matter how much planning I did unless I started Googling the specs of the hinges, which I would never do. <laughs> but regardless of whether I just winged it or I made a SketchUp file, I would have used the same hinges, hinges and I would have came across the same problem. Right. But... Because I did a project a little while back, I don't even remember what it was for, and I bought some piano hinges, which are the long continuous hinges. I didn't return them when I didn't use them. I had them on hand. I could swap it out really quick. It was the thing that took an hour and was a 2% headache instead of what would have been an extra an extra hour, basically, which is how long it takes to go to Home Depot and right. back for me. So that's one thing that I th that's like my mantra is like never return anything because it might be useful and it might save you a trip. Yep. And now you'll have those utility hinges for next time. Come full circle on it. So true. I put them in a little Ziploc bag so I would keep the screws with them. Yeah. I was going to say when me and Ben were talking at the same time. So I do like to plan everything out, but like I'll still make little things that are just unforeseen that come up in my build. So like with this bed project, I'll try to explain this. Hopefully it makes sense. I don't think I would understand this if somebody explained it to me, but so if you pick start, yeah, here we go. Expectations are set for, I used push to open hardware for the drawers. Cause I want it to just look like nice flat surfaces, right? So there's no pools. There's no recess for a handle. It's just a flat plywood panel as the fronts of drawers. If you were looking at the bed straight on, so you're looking at it from the footboard, 
you would see two long boxes that you would see the sides of on either side. And then in front of you would be a smaller box in between them that like creates the whole span of the footboard. And so I didn't want to build that box where it was a drawer front that's sitting within a box on all four sides. So you'd be able to see like the plywood edge perimeter on all four sides. I wanted to make the grain look like a little bit more constant. So like from a slight distance, it would look like just one long panel. So in order to do that, I had to recess back the side panels of the box that the drawer sits within because you need to push the thing in for it to pop out. So it has to have like that little wiggle room space. So I did it all. And then I was going to have the drawer front overhang it on the sides so that you don't see the plywood edges. And then Mm -hmm. once I did it, I was like, oh shoot, there's not enough room for you to push it in for it to operate. So then I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, well then I'll just cut like rabbits into both sides, the back sides of the front drawer so that it has some room that it can push back and then it can pop forward. And so I was like, oh, cool. That's a good solution for it. And then after I was like, oh, this is so stupid. Like if I would have known this going in, I would have just built those side pieces like a quarter of an inch shorter. You don't see them anyway. And just not make them touch the back of the front box. And then I wouldn't have had to do the whole rabbit thing. Mm -hmm. So that's like one of those things where like, I kind of came up with a solution on the fly, but then realized like, oh, this was kind of a dumb solution. And I don't want to get called. I don't want to have a bunch of people saying, why didn't you do this? And it's like, right. well, yeah, you have the luxury of like seeing me make the mistake. And I don't know. Sometimes it's just easier to judge when you're like not in the middle of it. Like a lot of times when I listen to the podcast, I'll think of like, oh man, it would have been funny if I said this right here. But when you're actually <laughs> yeah. like in the moment of doing it, it's different for some reason. And it's so all a blur. Yeah. And so one of the cool things about SketchUp is that then I can like go in and be like, here's a better solution to do this that I didn't think of in real time. So hopefully yeah. actually doing that will kind of give some people some look behind the scenes to see, oh, you are kind of doing this on the fly. And like, you do think of better things after the fact that you didn't think of like right at that moment when you had to do something. I think so also. Yeah. But that's the beauty of what we're doing, man. Hopefully we're making those first couple mistakes for our audience so that they can see what we're doing and then they don't have to make it. Like we're not saving them from every mistake, but hopefully we're saving them from from the like, oh, I should have cut this a different size right. mm-hmm. or which, like those oversights. But but one thing to consider, and this leads into my what am I obsessed with, is following step-by-step instructions is actually a really terrible way to learn or understand how to do anything. My sort of recommendation for media content this week is the book Range by David Epstein. And he essentially writes about why it's really important to be a generalist. So he's the guy that wrote that book, The Sports Genes, that talks about how why people in different areas dev- are, end up being really good at different sports and how that mm-hmm. relates to sort of genet- genetics versus uh, the type of environment they were raised in, sort of the nature versus nurture kind of issues. Really fantastic author, really smart. And he talks a lot about how if you look at like the, you know, the highest level athletes, they often played multiple sports and that like over specialization at a really young age doesn't lead to such well-rounded skill sets. And Mm -hmm. so he gives all these examples, a lot of things like relating to sort of like nationalistic tendencies for soccer development and, you know, what actually leads to the best sort of results. Mm -hmm. And when you follow specific instructions or just keep drilling the same thing over and over and over again, sort of, okay, cut this piece to length, cut this piece to length rather than saying oh here's the whole thing these pieces are support pieces these pieces fit inside of that so whatever the length of that one is this one is that plus two thicknesses that's a Mm -hmm. conceptual way of understanding thing which will not just let you build that one piece but let you build all sorts of pieces so with the with the lounge i know i'm gonna get a lot of people asking oh can you put post plans for this but you really don't need to. You just need to know how big you want your cushions. And then from there, what angle you want the backrest. And there you could, I could produce one set of plans that show you exactly the measurements I did it. Or if you understand those few concepts, you could build this to any size or dimensions that you want. So that would be my recommendation for the week. It is called Range by David Epstein's fantastic book. Nice. Nice. I dig it. What's your obsession, Chris? What do you got? I got a music pick. So I've again, been, all right, oh, here again, we go. Here we go again. This one, the band is called Standards. I actually had never, I don't even remember how I stumbled across them, but they have, they're not a band I've listened to for a long time, but they're cool. They're instrumental, kind of like, have, have we ever talked about math rock? You're familiar with math rock? 
Yeah, honestly, okay. I was gonna guess whenever you said the name. I wasn't gonna yeah. guess instrumental, but I was gonna say real mathy. I bet. Yeah, <laughs> that's literally mathy. what I was gonna say. Math awesome. rock is kind of like the woodworking of music in a way because it's artistic, but it's still mathematical. Like when you, yeah, it's funny. Like and when you, you can go in into the weeds as deep as you want. Yeah, and so with this it as well. This band's cool because I think they'd be a good entry into this type of music because they're still very melodic. Awesome. So like if you didn't know that if you knew nothing about music and time signatures and all that stuff you could still listen to it and like you might think like oh it sounds a little weird like there's something different about this but it wouldn't be so obvious that like they're doing it just for the sake of being complex or anything like that right i'm with it man i hate music that is anything for the sake of it yeah and I'll, like I'll, complex for the sake of it but i love it whenever it's still groovy yeah just to give a track pick so if people want to go listen to something first my the standout track for me so far although they're all good is called hammerhead shark <laughs> nice there you go is that the best shark or the worst shark that's uh, a uh, top 10 top 10 shark is it better than, well, i bet there's is it better than baby not, i can't sharks. even name 10 sharks i don't think <laughs> it's tool related which makes it nice that's true. That's true. I suppose true. for the listeners of this podcast. All right. I'm going to give a shout out to a YouTube channel that I've shouted out multiple times. It's not maker related, but anybody that's doing the YouTube or the Instagram game might really benefit from their content. And they are Mango Street. It's, oh, yeah. I, I think like they're either married or they're together. They're, it's a guy and a girl that's doing photography and content creating videos. Uh, so they've got a lot of different things about whether it's uh, color correcting things like in Lightroom or setting up different like things in Photoshop. That's great. They also do a lot of practical things about actually shooting in different spaces, like shooting in real life versus studio setups. But mm -hmm. they just came out with a video. I'm going to pull it up so I have the exact title. It is called Instagram Story Hacks for 2019. Ooh. This is the type of content that I typically hate, yeah. or at least that type of title. But it's actually really great. It goes into some of the ways you can get cool kind of transitions or effects or importing different texts and GIFs into Instagram stories, which it's not something that I do a lot of, but I really like that they do it in a tasteful way. So they're showing you how to do these sort of hacks, but it's not like, here's a hack so that you can have a unicorn that's farting a rainbow in your Instagram story, where it's like, that's not what I want to see. But it's like, here's how you have a cool font that's minimalist and tasteful, but it just doesn't happen to be one of the stock fonts in Instagram stories. There you go. It's a so, hack, but it's not hacky. Exactly. So if you're interested in that stuff, I really couldn't recommend Mango Street more. It's a great channel and they do a, they do a really good job doing what they're doing. Very cool. Awesome. Well, if you haven't already, subscribe to us in the iTunes app, in Stitcher, Google Play, everything that has a podcast listening capability. Follow us or listen to us there. Uh, if you haven't given us a review, we'd really appreciate it. Other than that, follow us on Instagram at Modern Builds, at Four Eyes Furniture, and at Benjamin Ueda. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. See ya. Bye.